As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is happening, gang? We are live on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Pulling, and we have got an awesome episode for you today. In our Hall of Fame month, we're moving on from the Colts Hall of Fame quarterback Peyton Manning and moving to his Hall of Fame backfield mate, running back Edron James. This is truly an unbelievable window into who Edron was as a man, who Edron was as a player. We get some stories I think you've never heard anywhere else, and it's really an opportunity to kind of get Bill's perspective on truly one of the most special players to ever play in the NFL. I think for anybody who saw Edron's Hall of Fame speech, you got a window into kind of who Edge is as a man, and so this is truly a unique opportunity to learn about one of the greatest running backs in the history of the NFL. But before we dive into today's show, we want to talk about one of our favorite sponsors on the pod, Bet Online. Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. Whether it's live bets during games or futures for who you think will win the championship, Bet Online has the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. So visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's right, a 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next big game, head over to Bet Online and start playing today. All right, gang, sit back, relax, and get ready. This is the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Pulling, and this is our look at Edron James, the Hall of Famer. All right, gang, we are live on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian, and I feel like I still have the hangover from some of the greatest Hall of Fame speeches that just happened to be made by two Colts Hall of Famers this weekend. How's everybody doing on the show today? Good, thank you. Yeah, good, and agree with you. There's there, the, the memory lingers on. Yeah, pretty good. Well, today's show, we are focused on Edron Tyree James, born August 1st, 1979, the American football professional football player, running back in the NFL for 11 seasons. As you all know, he played his college ball at the University of Miami, the U. He famously was drafted by a certain someone, fourth overall in the 1999 NFL draft. James also played for the Cardinals and the Seahawks. He was the AP NFL 
Seattle Offensive Rookie of the Year. He earned four Pro Bowl selections, four All-Pro selections, and James is the Colts' all-time leader in rushing yards, attempts, and touchdowns. James is 13th on the all-time rushing list and a member of the 10,000-yard rushing club and north of those 12,000 yards. And as we all know, he was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the class of 2020, which was enshrined over the weekend. Just to give you a little bit on the career stats, he had over 3,000 rushing attempts, 12, 000, over 12,000 yards rushing, an average of four yards per carry, uh, over 80 touchdowns. Receiving was definitely one of his strengths early on in his career. 433 catches for 3,300 yards, an average of about 7.8 yards per uh, catch, and 11 receiving touchdowns. That is who he was on paper. Let's find out who he really was as the man. What is happening? So I don't know if you've heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain very soon. And I was reading a press release about how he started taking a pH balancing alkaline supplement called Balance 7. And that's what's helped him bounce back from his hospitalization in 2015. He even said, I have an enormous amount of energy, which is good for me. It's important when working out. I always need energy to level up. And, you know, if you saw him fight Aaron Carter in the celebrity boxing match, I think it's safe to say that Balance 7 is working for him. The cool thing is we have a promotion we're running with Balance 7 right now. If you go to their website, balance7.com, and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout, you'll receive a free four-ounce bottle of my smooth skin with any purchase of Balance 7 products. So that's head over to balance7.com and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout to receive this unbelievable free offer. Again, head over to balance7.com, use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout to get in on the promotion. And I know you will. It worked for him, so it can work for you too. All right. Let's, let's start, you know, with a little, with a little background. Uh, Bill, in his, in his Hall of Fame speech, Edge talked a lot about perception versus reality. Uh, what was the perception generally coming out of college that people had of edge. Um, and did you have any preconceived notions yourself that were either confirmed or denied? No, I, I didn't have any preconceived notions. Um, most of America did, uh, and certainly all of the Indianapolis media did. Uh, we, we had traded Marshall Falk um, about two weeks prior to the draft because of a contract situation that was untenable. He needed a new contract, deserved one. We couldn't give it to him because of the cap and the way the contract had been written by the, 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 a lawyer that had preceded us in Indianapolis and preceded Jim Ursay as the owner. Uh, so we had to trade Marshall, and we were in the market for running back with the fourth. We had the fourth pick in the draft. So uh, virtually 100% of the Cognoscenti had, had said, uh, you know, they're taking Ricky Williams. Um, let me just put this in context in terms of career for the moment in rushing yards edger and james had 12,246 rushing yards marshall falk um, in effect for whom he was traded had 12,243 rushing <laughs> yards <laughs> so yeah i'd say we replaced marshall yeah <laughs> uh, ricky williams who uh was the the presumptive heir apparent to Marshall Falk had 10,009 career rushing yards. Defenders of Ricky Williams will say, well, he missed a couple of seasons, yes, because he was in the marijuana. He was suspended for 
perpetual marijuana use. So um, uh, that has to factor into it. Um, and it, just to put the other, the other numbers in context, 12,000 yards is a golden ticket to the Hall of Fame. Those with 12,000 yards or more in their career rushing are as follows. Emmett Smith, the all-time leader with 18,355. Walter Payton, uh, whose record Emmett broke. Frank Gore, who's still playing, by the way, with 16,000 yards and who will definitely be a Hall of Famer. Barry Sanders with 15,269. Adrian Peterson, who's still playing, 14,820. Um, probably won't get many more than that. That'll be a little more controversial, I think, than Frank Gore in terms of getting in, but I think he will eventually. Uh, Curtis Martin with 14,000. LaDainian Tomlinson, Jerome Bettis, Eric Dickerson, uh, also a, a Colt for a period of time. Tony Dorsett, Jim Brown, Marshall Falk, Edger and James, Marcus Allen, Franco Harris, Thurman Thomas. Uh, 12,000 is really the dividing line. And the next guy in line, by the way, which will be somewhat controversial, I think, over time, is Fred Taylor with 11,695. So uh, that, that, that's, that's a tough call. That's where you, you know, that's where the rubber hits the road for selectors. But 12,000 yards is, is the magic number. Do you think that, is it, is it sort of cliff vest, you know, like, you know, in baseball, you know, 300 wins, et cetera, et cetera. Is it, do people look at it as statistically in football with those magic numbers as they traditionally did in baseball? It's certainly with running backs, they do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Bill, this is obviously a long question, but, and we'll take time to filter out, but how do you think the 17 game schedule will impact that? Oh, it will. It will impact it, but it won't for a while. You know, you, you won't have anybody basically jumping those guys for quite some time. And if the, if the idea, which is, which is in my mind, we've talked about it numerous times on this show, fallacious, that you, that you don't draft running backs high and running backs don't have long careers, which they don't. Is anybody ever going to get to 12,000 yards? Let's look at the list. It's an interesting question. LaShawn McCoy, we, I mentioned Goran Peterson are still playing and, and, and they've passed that threshold. The only one who's close is LaShawn McCoy with 11,102 yards. And he's not playing enough these days, maybe to get another thousand. He certainly won't have another thousand yard season, I don't think. Right. And, and, and then after that, there's nobody playing who's even close. 8,000 yards, you know, is a rarity these days. Yeah. So, so like the 300, 300 game winner mm -hmm. in baseball, I think, I think the, that era has passed. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's interesting, there's a parallel there in the same way as a lot of times uh, starting pitchers are getting pulled and don't wind up with the winner or the loss. Of course, yeah. So many, so many running backs by committee, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, you know, right. and the reliance on the past. But, I mean, it, it, it's a crazy gap because, I mean, you go from basically LaShawn McCoy at 11,000, then you've got Mark Ingram next active at 7,300 yards. I mean, it, it's going to be a haul to get there. I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody, you know, you never say never. Every record's made to be broken, but I don't think the way people value running backs these days and, and the injury rate, the career length, I don't, that's, 
going to be a hard one. That's like 56 straight for Joe DiMaggio. It's going to be hard to hard surpass. Hey, before we jump back into Edge, can I ask one stupid question? So what if Derrick Henry gets another 2,000-yard season this season? Do you think that makes him a Hall of Famer, even if he doesn't, say, get to 10,000 yards? Uh, that's a good question. Um, first of all, I, 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 you're asking a question that's, that isn't stupid. It's actually pressure. Right. The, the larger question there is, do you take a snapshot of a player's career right now and with a national microphone anoint him a Hall of Famer? And then we get in the room, By since I'm a selector, I can use the plural, right. possessive, possessive plural. Yeah. That, that is not the, it's not the royal way. That is the real way. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and get in the room and look at his whole career and say, well, wait a minute. Hold on. This guy did have 2,000 yards twice, but he's only got 6,000 for his career. Right. Now, the likelihood is if there's another 2,000-yard season, by the time he comes up, the bar will have gone down so significantly lower that he'll get absolutely serious consideration. But you got to look. The larger question is, they got to finish playing and you got to look at their whole careers right. and then say, okay, does the, do these couple of seasons merit selection versus what, for example, Franco Harris or Curtis Martin did, you know, Curtis Martin was a great back. I never thought of him as a hall of famer. I mean, we, he was hard as hell to compete against, but I never really thought of him as a Hall of Famer because when you think Hall of Famers, you think Gail Sayers, you think uh, you, you think Tony Dorsett, you think obviously Emmett Smith, Walter Payton. But 14,000 yards, whoa, the minute I saw that statistic, I said he's in yes. and deserves to be in. Yeah, and, you know, Bill, the, uh, the second, the, the last point you just made, there's a parallel to baseball too, which is, uh, you know, how do you compare what a guy did in his era, right? When yeah. careers are shorter, they're getting less carries, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So there's that to consider. But let me ask you something that I think would be not only interesting to our audience about this particular situation, but helpful in many ways for people in their own lives, whether it's CEOs making decisions or just, you know, and it sort of gets into the, the issue of books and covers, right? I mean, how when the drumbeat from the media is so loud and there's such a consensus out there uh, in our friends uh, in the, uh, the DIC, the Draft Industrial Complex, you know, that Ricky Williams is a guy, Edge doesn't have it. How do you remain agnostic? How did you remain agnostic and really look at the facts, you know, look at what really counts on the football field and filter out all that noise. And that's not an easy thing to do. So I, I'd like you to, you know, take us inside your own process. Well, first of all, it's easy to do. It's hard to deal with the criticism because you get criticized for doing it. Right. <laughs> but it's easy to do. I, I should have read. Yes, yes, yes. Your process is easy, but it, it, it ain't easy overall. <laughs> the, the, so that's point one. Point two, I was taught many, many, many years ago when I first got into scouting by Cal Murphy, who's a Canadian League, uh, Canadian Football League Hall of Famer and 
my, my great friend for a lifetime and former mentor, we, we were talking about how to judge players. And I said, what goes into this? And he said, now, we're going to make a reference here that probably three-quarters of our audience won't understand, so I'm going to have to explain it. There was a show on television called Dragnet. Oh, yeah. One of, one of the great, in the 50s, one of the great shows of all time, great cop shows of all time. It was the granddaddy of all cop shows. And, uh, uh, and, and, and copied almost directly by Streets of San Francisco, which is, which is another 20 years forward. Carl Malden, uh, Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas. Yes. Yeah, Michael Douglas's first foray into the into star. But the, the star of the show was uh, a, a, an actor named Jack Webb, who played a, uh, a detective named Joe Friday. And Joe Friday would always interview witnesses uh, on each show. And the witnesses would either be scared or they would be recalcitrant or they would be uh, nervous and, 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 and he would, and they'd start to ramble and Joe Friday would say, just the facts. Yep. Just the facts. Just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> just the facts, ma'am. Yeah, that's right. If he was talking to a female. And, uh, and so Cal Murphy said to me, it's easy, Bill, Joe Friday, just the facts. Yeah. <laughs> so I've shared that, 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 that reference with every scouting staff that I've spoken to, including our own. And now many, I speak to many scouting staffs around the league from time to time and just the facts. Right. So you're not agnostic. You're really a detective. You're looking at the facts and trying to get the facts to lead you and only the facts to lead you to a correct consideration. Right. Now, over time, I've changed. I've gotten to the point where I'm so cynical about the media anymore and their ability to judge players and why they hype players, for example, that I'm, I, I almost dismiss guys who have big media reps. I, I can remember being in draft rooms and a guy that's a highly talked about guy, let's use Ricky Williams as an example. And, and you know, Ricky Williams is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who said so? Well, Peter Kate, no, that don't count. <laughs> right. AP All-American, that doesn't count. Yeah. Just like Pro Bowl doesn't count anymore. Once fans started to vote in Pro Bowl, it doesn't count. We, we, we didn't even give Pro Bowl bonuses in Indianapolis. And you know what? The agents didn't fight us because the agent would say, how about a Pro Bowl bonus? I said, I'm, you want me to spend Jim Hersey's money and my cap space? On what, on what the fans like, right? That's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, just, exactly. And the answer would be, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. I'm with you. We're good. Yeah, sorry, I asked. Sorry, I asked. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it, Bill, as a, a follow up, just I need you need to inform Chris that on Sunday nights, now that he is located in Washington, there on WAMU, the NPR station, there is the thing called the Big Broadcast. And when he's winding down from a game, unless he has a Sunday night game or a Monday game, one of the shows that they rebroadcast in the radio form with Jack Webb is Dragnet. <laughs> along with along with Bill, you'll only remember this, Gunsmoke on the radio and Johnny Dollar Private Eye. There you go. There you go. Just as soon as you get 10 minutes outside of Landover, because nothing works for some unknown reason when you're by FedEx Field. We don't know why. 
Yeah, yeah. A lot of things don't work for a long time around FedEx field, but uh, so. But Bill, you know, you you remarked at the time, and it and it kind of was indicative. And I'll say, you know, what an unfair time the, the press, especially the print media, gave you in, in Indianapolis, and didn't give you your just due. But you came out with a good sort of self-deprecating line, uh, kind of Kennedy-esque. Uh, when you know you 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 traded somebody who they didn't want you to trade, and you drafted somebody who they didn't want you to draft, and you and your comment was, it was a very unpopular doubleheader. <laughs> Correct, it was. <laughs> it was. But but back to your back to your original question, all we were doing was looking at both players in an absolute vacuum. Marsh, uh, Ricky Williams versus Edger and James because that's what it came down to when, when you looked at the at the grades that's what it came down to so you know we were going to take it back there's no two ways about that and when we did all of our homework which of course in our case included uh I hate to use the word character I'll, I'll use Marv's phrase Marv Levy's phrase football temperament when, 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 you, when you included football temperament, which, by the way, is measurable by the psychologist and, and by background, and, and which, in which we put great stock, great stock, um, Edgerin was far and away the winner. I mean, it wasn't even close. Uh, just like Peyton and, 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 and his counterpart were not close. Right. So the whole process being driven by Joe Friday, just the facts mm -hmm. and not opinion um, took us, took us to the right answer. Interestingly enough, um, along the lines of football temperament, I got a text yesterday from one of our team doctors in Indianapolis uh, who was at the party, of course, and, and saw everybody. And that's the, the heartbreaking part of it is that, you know, I couldn't be there to see them in person. Sure. But, the, the uh, uh, he said to me, it is amazing to see what these guys have done with their post-football lives. They're all outstanding citizens. They're all doing very well. Uh, he said, it's a tribute to the process that we followed, that we produced, that produced so many of these guys. Right. And, and and that to me, that and I shared it with Tony Dungy, by the way. That that to me is the is the the high point of the weekend, and it always is when I when I yeah. when I we go back. Like Robert Mathis will go on the on on, on the, in the Ring of Honor uh, this this coming November at Lucas Oil Stadium, and and all the guys will be back for that. And whenever I see them, I'm always so gratified um, to see how well they've done. They, they're great, great, great people as well as football players. Yeah. Um, so getting back to the, the, the Joe Friday process here, um, tell us about, and you can compare it to Ricky Williams if you want, just as a baseline. Um, in, in terms of your evaluation of edge uh, coming out of college, what were the components? What were the assets that you saw on film statistically uh, the football uh, temperament, et cetera, et cetera, that uh, aside from who else, you, you know, maybe do it the other way, aside from anybody else, you know, 
how did you see him on, in those essential facts? Well, number one, overall, he was the number one back in the draft by a wide margin. So it wasn't close. Um, and, wh- and why was that, Bill? What, what- for the following reasons. He had, number one, incredible acceleration in the hole, which is absolutely necessary at the NFL level. Because if you can't, if you don't have vision and you can't accelerate in the hole, you can live well at the college level by running over people at the second level, which Ricky Williams did, or running away from people at the second level, which Ricky Williams did. You can't do that in the NFL. The linebackers are too good. You got to get through the hole when it's there. You got to see it. You got to get through it, and you have to and you have to accelerate. So he had that. Ricky did not. Um, I don't want to beat up Ricky. We'll just continue on on, on Ezra. A great player, yeah. Ricky was a great college player and and, and a decent pro. The uh, Edgerins had great vision. He could see the hole. He had wonderful, wonderful football intelligence. Now, he's, as you found out Saturday night, also extremely intelligent, generally speaking. But he had great football intelligence. So he understood the blocking pattern. He understood the defensive front. He understood where the hole was likely to be. So that helped him anticipate and helped him uh, get through quickly. Um, that's, you know, whether you call it football instinct, football intelligence, key and di- diagnose, it doesn't matter. Hall of Famers have that in abundance. That's a common trait among Hall of Famers. Um, he had great avoid. You know, the, the, the best quality after acceleration in a hole a back can have is avoid. Why? Because he doesn't take a lot of hits. He makes people miss and he gets extra yardage uh, where someone else would not. So um, he had tremendous avoid. The reason he has a 4-0 career rushing average is his ACL injury, which occurred, I believe, in his fourth season, um, robbed him of that avoid. Yeah. He was never the same with the avoid after the injury, but he still went on, of course, to, to play. Oh, yeah, because his first two seasons are about as crazy as it comes. I mean, over 2,000 combined. I mean, it's just absolutely nuts. But but af- even after the ACL, he had two 1,500-yard seasons. So oh, yeah, you- I mean, he comes back from the ACL in 04 and 05 with 1,500 yards and then another about, on average, 350, 375 yards receiving. I mean, it's pretty nuts. Yeah. He, um, he, he, so he had, he had ex- vision, acceleration, and a whole football instinct, avoid. He was a great finisher. He was a great finisher. He got every yard that was there. So he finished every single run. And over time, over time, during the course of the game, if you are a running team, which we wanted to be and which we were, uh, you know, Peyton gets gets a lot of accolades and the receivers get a lot of accolades. We were a running football team. And as a result, over the course of a game, finishers like Edgerin and Joseph Adai, who, who succeeded him, uh, even James Mungro, who backed him up for a period of time, were great finishers. And they wear on a defense. They're like punches. They're like punchers in a prize fight. They punch and they punch and they punch and they punch. 
and and by the 12th round you're going to no moss baby i don't want any more of this. yeah exactly so, yeah exactly they, they finish they help you finish games four minute where you give the ball to the running back and say finish the game get us two first downs is absolutely critical edgerman was great at that and then finally oh well let me speak to the passing game he could do everything Marshall could do in the passing game in a much bigger body. And, and his hands were exceptional. He had really soft hands and really had a feel for the passing game. He wasn't as spectacular as Marshall. He didn't break ankles, you know, on people covering him, but, but he was, he was more than, than exceptional in the passing game. So when you put it all together uh, with the last quality which is rare, which is blocking ability. Yep. He was a grade A in every single category that a running back would have to hit. Yeah. And people said to me, people say to me, did you know he was going to be a Hall of Famer? And the answer is no, of course not. Right. But our, the, the late great Don Manili, our scouting director, said, as we began to get to the final decision, you know, Edger and James is a in every category that a running back has to have every trait a running back has to have that should be. And you've heard Dave Gettleman say this about Saquon Barkley. That should be at least a chance that someday he's going to get a gold jacket. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the blocking stuff was definitely underrated and I wanted to point out another statistic uh among running backs in combined yards from scrimmage he's also 13th all time so he more than held his own on the passing side of the game with the very best coming out of the backfield so when you throw and and i I, you know i went back and watched the blocking bill i didn't even realize how what a terrific blocker he was and how rare is that to have somebody who can come out you know carry the ball catch the ball finish and, and is willing to give up his body for the teammates and block. Well, I, I think that was one of the most poignant moments of his Hall of Fame speech, just talking about what blocking meant to him beyond just sort of the football part of it, but just as a human being working amongst your team, existing with your brothers, you know, that that's something that you've got you to gotta commit to. I mean, I, I thought that was easily one of the best parts of his speech. Well, if you think about it in this context, as, as we discuss – as we discussed this past spring, the draft, I said about virtually every running back, they're going to learn, have to learn how to block. And that's the hardest thing a running back has to do coming in from college because they carry the ball all the time. They catch it all the time. And what are we going to do? Uh, how do we teach him? Will he block? We don't know. We haven't seen him do it. And, and he certainly hasn't been taught the, the correct technique. They cut a lot of times in college. You'll see running backs cut almost all the time in college. And it drives me and other people in pro football, including Tom Moore, who was our offensive coordinator, Howard Mudd, who was our offensive line coach, and Gene Huey, who did such a magnificent job coaching our running backs. Crazy. Because if you cut, what happens? The rusher is on the ground, right? Crawling around. And he's under Peyton Manning's feet and knees. Hitting knees. No quarterback wants anybody around his feet or knees. Yep. So 
much less Lawrence Taylor, you know, yeah. who, who you couldn't cut, by the way. Right. Yeah. But but the fact of the matter is that you don't want people who cut. You want people who stand up, punch them in the numbers, stick your face in there and stop them, or at very least steer them away from the quarterback. Edger and James did that perfectly from day one. Gene used to have to fix his hand placement from time to time or fix his, 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 his approach from time to time based on what the, what the, uh, uh, what the uh, protection scheme was. But the want to and, and the toughness and the ability to do it unmatched. How, how much of that is will over skill? Um, will is 75%. Right. You know, pro athletes can be taught virtually any skill. Uh, but but will is that that's more than half the battle, more than three quarters of the battle. I mean, so you brought him up. Could you talk a little bit about his relationship with Coach Huey and how important he was in Edgerin's development? Oh yeah, yeah. Gene and Gene and he were really close, really close. So much so that you know Gene was blinded to anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else was ever good enough. Right. Yeah. Well, of course. Not easy on Joseph and die, bro. <laughs> Edger and James doesn't walk in the door every year, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Was it love at first sight? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, Gene, Gene did not like small backs at all. So, you know, when it, it, I was surprised that he, that he really liked Edger as much as he did because Edger was, you know, six feet to 15. He wasn't, a, he wasn't six feet through three and you know, 230, which is kind of what Gene envisioned as the ideal Tom Rathman kind of back, but uh, who he coached at Nebraska, I think. But, uh, uh, you know, from day one, Edge was was clearly, we knew what we had, you know, it, it, no question about it. And then the, the thing that I haven't talked about is, um, and, and I'll quote Peyton, the greatest teammate he ever had. And, and that says a lot with the group of guys that we had there. Edgerin, Edgerin would do anything, uh, you know, never sought the limelight, never was a pain in the neck, you know, never did anything but support everybody else, everybody's friend, uh, you know. In essence, the, the best, as Peyton said, the best teammate we ever had. Yeah, which is... Uh, you know, it, so his, uh, you know, I wouldn't say shyness, but his, his lack of wanting the limelight. Um, this is one of those things when you hope a lot of people heard that speech and a lot of people really understand not only what a quality player he was, but what a truly wonderful human being is. Uh, and I think as we go along, we'll get into some of the stuff he did back in his own town and he, I mean he lived his life that whole way it was I think to me the blocking that he did Bill was exemplative of the kind of human being he is giving up himself to help other people yeah he's a he's a first of all he's a tremendous father um he's always talking about the kids he's, he's not terribly talkative especially among strangers but but even among teammates you know, he's not the guy with, who's always telling a joke or something like that. But if you ask him about the kids, he'll go for an hour. <laughs> and what I found in the research was 
Uh, you know, Bill Russell had a great line, Bill. He, he said, there's no such thing as other people's kids. And I think that's the way Edrin looked at it. When he went back and built that facility down there, the fun house uh, to keep kids safe, to give them a place to work out and so on. I mean, it's just how he lived his life. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he's, he's devoted to improving the lives of not only his own children, but who are at the older ones, as you saw the other night, are tremendously accomplished. But uh, kids in, in Immokalee, Florida, which is an impoverished area. It is. Uh, uh, you know, greatly. And, he, and he's never really left Immokalee. It, it, even though he's been on the national stage and now is a Hall of Famer, he's, he's never left, uh, both physically and, and, and with the resources that he brings there and certainly his heart's there. And uh, so, you know, he's as good a person as he is a player. I guess that's the way to say it. And he's very, as you saw, very bright. I can't tell you how many people, even strangers, said to me or just acquaintances said to me, oh, wow. His was the best speech. I didn't realize he was he was that smart or, or, or you know, or that savvy. So, well, you haven't been around him and lots of people and, and he didn't seek the limelight. So people people didn't write about it or talk about it. Uh, but that's who he is. None of us were surprised. Right. By the way, he also marched to his own drum. Yes, he did. You know, he he. <laughs> As one of the guys reminded me the other day, you know, at the next OTA, not OTAs, but the next off-season program he shows up for will be the first. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Peyton was very big on having all the offensive guys there for the entire off-season program so they could work on individual stuff and individual routes. And, and Edge's position was, I'm working out down here in Florida and Miami. I'll see you in June when OTAs begin, and I'll be ready. Well, I mean, do you think that was in part, though, because of his com commitment to his community and not wanting to leave there and being such a fixture there? No, I don't think so. I think he just wanted to work out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That was also when all the you guys used to work out together, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a real brotherhood to him, too. But, Bill, I think the ultimate example, not, not just even off-season stuff, but how about after the injury – that's where he went down to rehab on his own. I mean, that was, I mean, you know, if you think, oh my God, I got to have people tell me what to do at some point, you know, it's after an injury. I mean, cause he knew how to train, but that to me spoke of his, 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 he was his own man. Well, he was, but here's the thing. He just brought back a, 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 an incredible memory. Um, first of all, when he got hurt in Kansas city, Dominic Rhodes stepped in and replaced him and did a heck of a job. And Dominic had a good, really good career himself and, and should have been the MVP of the Super Bowl. I think Peyton probably would agree with that. Um, or at least a co-MVP. Edge came back and, and, and we all thought that he was hurt and, and probably badly. But the MRI was kind of inconclusive. And so the docs sat down with coach and I and Edge and said the best thing we can do we played if I'm not mistaken on a Thursday night in Kansas City I think that's correct and so the doc said let's work them out on Saturday we're going to have a very light practice 
let's work them out on Saturday. And if the knee balloons and swells, and if we get, you know, really poor range of motion at that point, we'll know. Okay, logical. The MRI was inconclusive. You trust the doctors. And, uh, and so we did. The knee immediately blew up. I don't think he finished the practice. If I'm, I'm not sure he got very far into it, actually. And we took him off the field and said, you know, he's going to need to be operated on. We're going to wait till the swelling goes down, but he's going to need to be operated on. Well, that caused a media furor in Indianapolis. They're high, they injured him in practice. They practiced him. They put him out there and injured him. That was the columnist's point of view. And because he had a following in national media, uh, even though he'd been wrong, he'd been O for Peyton Manning, O for Edger and James, O for, you know, virtually everything we did. Yep. Um, he still had a following. And the paper loved him because it was instant controversy. Because if he said the sky was green, I said it was blue. Right. And, and so there was there was interesting, you know, they, they sold newspapers. They loved it. And, that, and that's just to say, that is how it was. Whatever Bill did, whatever position he took, this guy who shall go nameless was a contrarian for everything. Yeah, and, and as one editor said to me, that's his job. Yeah. His job isn't to make you look good or even agree with you. I said, yeah, okay, I get it. I understand. Not everybody can tune up the bandwagon like Mr. Kornheiser did in D.C. for all the glory years. Well, <laughs> well let, let, let me just say in defense of real journalism, uh, there should be an element of truth involved here rather than just assuming a position to put it in tomorrow's fish wrap. So anyway, that, that, that's, that's ancient history, but it, it, it's the context of what went on. So now um, it's time to do the operation and then it's time for him to rehab. So, I can't, I can't remember who did the operation, to be very honest with you. I think it was one of our doctors, but I could be wrong on that. Um, but Edge came to me and said, I really would like to rehab in Florida, you know, with the, with the folks at Miami. So I said, I don't have any problem with that uh, as long as our trainer and the docs are, are, are sure that they're getting good information. And, and I don't doubt that they will, but let's just make sure we check that box. So I talked to Mr. Ursay about it. He said, fine, you know, and, and, and the trainers and the docs, the docs were a little miffed about it to be truthful, but the trainer was okay. He said, I got a good relationship with that guy. Uh, now in those days you couldn't exchange videos or anything like that. So it was all word of mouth, but um, we said, okay, fine. So off he went and that became Edger and cause celeb number two. In fact, number one was such a cause celeb that we had to have a press conference in our in our meeting facility. It was too small to hold in the press room. The press room was too small to hold it. And there were national reporters from all over the country asking, did you guys deliberately injure or ignorantly injure Edger and James on the practice field? The answer, of course, is no. And then when he went off to uh, when he went off to rehab in Florida, the the issue was the Colts are, are shipping him out because they don't want any scrutiny on the mistakes that they made, A, and B, they're kowtowing to him. Uh, he's a star, so he gets what he wants, et cetera. 
So it's all just spin. None of it was factual. And of course he came back and had two more great seasons uh, after the injury, but it just goes to show you the kind of, you know, history always repeats itself, bad information. Uh, A lie goes around the world before you can put your socks on. Yeah. You know, it's, we're living through that right now, Scott, you're, you have to deal with it every day. So every day, but the better story was this is a guy who spent like 40 grand in 2003 building a like state of the art rehab facility for himself in Miami. 60, <laughs> six, it was 60 grand. Yeah. But you know what I mean? I mean, like, how yeah, I know. Think about that. Yeah, exactly. Well, what it, what it speaks to aside from the money is that we all trusted him. When he said, hey, I'm going to do it, and I'll be back, and I'll be in good shape, we trust him. Go ahead, Hitch. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, I mean, that's the most, and it was obviously sort of permeated his entire speech where it's like the legacy of Edger and James is going to be, you can't, don't, you know, read a book by its cover. Like this is, this is not who public perception probably unfortunately thought it was. This was somebody who was so dedicated to the game and so dedicated to his craft and such a good guy, you know, Uh, you know, he has his own uh, podcast. Uh, that interestingly, he chose the title to directly address that. And it's called, you know, Gold Teeth, the Gold Jacket. And he's talking <laughs> about, you know, the fact that, you know, okay, I had dreads. I had gold teeth. Doesn't anymore. I have gold teeth. And he cut the dreads shorter as a, as a show of deference to go there tackling them by the dreads. But, you know, yeah, that's the book and the cover exactly. What What was inside the man had nothing to do with what was on the exterior. Yeah. Now, I can remember I can remember being asked that question after after the draft did the did the dreadlocks and the gold teeth bother you and and you know my answer was why yeah what, what, why would that have anything to do with anything at, at any point did you think you'd do like a dick press conference where you'd come out in dreads with a grill <laughs> <laughs> no no I, I, the only dread that I had was meeting the press. <laughs> right, 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 right. Can you imagine that media day when Bill comes out with the full grill dreads on the go? Okay. Yeah. If, uh, that, <laughs> no, that wasn't going to happen. So Bill, can you talk about some of Edge's influences? I mean, obviously I think from the hall of fame speech, you know, Jim Irsay was a big influence. Can you talk about some of the big factors and and people in his life? Well, I think the, the the coaches at Miami were, were were big. Frank Gore was a huge influence on him. I, I remember him telling me that if Frank Gore had not gotten hurt, no one would have ever heard of Edger and James. So, and he's, I, I suspect he's really close to Frank to this day. And, and he was that Frank Gore was the guy he looked up to. Um, beyond that, I think, I think his immediate family, really, that that's, you know, we've, we've not talked a lot about that. And as I said, he hasn't sought the limelight, so he doesn't go into that a lot. Uh, but uh, I, I know he, he, the coaching staff at Miami and the, and, and certainly Frank Gore. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I think his mom was also a particularly Huge. great oh, yeah. influence yeah, in his yeah, life. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, she was such a hard worker. His dad wasn't around a lot. Uh, you know, they, at times they, they all slept in, the kitchen of the grandmother's uh, place. They got their own place, but it was, you know, it was, they were living at poverty level and, but she inspired in them, made those kids believe in themselves. 
uh, obviously gave unconditional love. So uh, that was one of the part of his story that touched me the most. How much did it mean to Edge? So, I mean, obviously sort of the only kind of dark cloud of your guys' Super Bowl win was Edge wasn't there. How how much did it mean for him, you know, later in his career to make it there with the Cardinals? And then, you know, they were they were inches away from pulling that one off. Well, uh, there, there's kind of a sidebar to that. Um, when, well, first of all, to your direct question, you could see how proud he was of having helped the Cardinals get there. Very proud. It might have been year six or seven, I can't of his career. I can't remember which one it was. There's no way, given the medical issues that and, and the cap issues that we had, that we could we could give him a long-term contract. And um, and so we we franchised him for a year, and and we may have franchised him for two. I can't I can't remember this it directly, but I know we franchised him for one year, and then and then we had to make a decision going forward. I suspect we, we did it only once because Tony talked about this. Uh, in the run-up to his um, enshrinement last week, Tony and I sat down and I said, "Look, we can, we can, we can put the tag on Edge for another year. We're not going to get a long-term deal done um, because it's not in the cards, you know, from the physical standpoint. But we can franchise him for another year. But if we do, we're going to lose. And I mentioned two or three other players who, whose, you know, whose, whose money." Edge's money would, would, would go to. So Tony said, boy, this is a tough decision. I said, yeah, sure is. It's, it's one of the toughest ones you have to make. We sat down with Jim about it. Jim was heart sick over it. Um, Jim had insisted that we tag him the previous year after he'd come off, a, you know, for him, a mediocre year. And you did only tag him once. Yeah, we only tagged him once. That's right. Yeah, it was once. As I'm rethinking this, I remember it was only once because the discussion was whether to tag him again. And so the, the feeling was no. So we sat down with him and, and talked about it. And he was great about it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he didn't like it. But I don't know how soon after we won the Super Bowl, which was either two years or the following year, I'm not sure which. The following year. Following year. Jim came to Tony and I. And, and, and typically, he, Jim would say, I'm thinking about this. What do you guys think? And we'd always, we'd always weigh in and uh, he'd always give us an opportunity to weigh in, but he, he just came to us and said, I'm giving edge a Super Bowl ring. Yeah. And our response was great. We're going to ask you to do that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Everybody in the building would, would be, will be in favor of it. You know, Bill, the, the other thing around that time uh, was Jimmy felt, uh, so uh, bad about having to do this. I know he he actually had to physically get together with Edgerton on his own and talk it yeah. through with oh, him. Yeah. It, yeah. it was not going to be the typical thing you see on Hard Knocks, or you know, the guy finds out because the waiver is it. You you read about in the paper. I mean, this was, uh, and I thought it spoke as well about Jim as it did about Edge. Uh, that he was that vested in somebody who had done so much for him and for his team that though it was a really difficult thing to face somebody and do that, he felt he was obligated to do that. That, that, uh, that gave me, uh, you know, 
put one in Jim's column forever for me. But am, am I crazy? But I mean, two totally different sort of came from two totally different universes, but they're sort of kindred spirits in a weird way, right? Yeah, absolutely. They all march, they both march to their own drums. Yes, they're both completely misunderstood yeah. by, by, by the media. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Ed, Edge is not buying Kerouac, but he's doing other things that are edged. Had it not been on toilet paper, you never know. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's, it's true. But, uh, but there, there is a postscript to the, to the story, which is, which is pure Edge. Uh, he, he'd gone to Seattle, and, uh, and I believe Mike Holmgren was there at the time. I may have talked to Mike. I'm pretty certain I talked to Mike about it. And they came back to play us in a home game. And so I had seen what um, the Red Sox had done for Pedro Martinez when he came back with the Mets to Fenway Park. And so I went to Jim and I said, you know, we need to do the same kind of tribute for Edge that the Red Sox did to for Pedro Martinez. And I explained it to him. And he said, great, go do it. So I talked to the video people, I talked to the PR people, and, and we decided we would do it at the two-minute warning, win or lose. You know, whether we were winning or losing, it didn't matter. We were going to do it the two-minute warning rather than before the game because we wanted it mentioned on television and so that people watching on television at least know that it happened. And, and A, and B, we wanted people still to be in the building. So... I don't know. I don't think he played very much in the game, but uh, the at the two minute warning, the announcer, we had it all scripted. The announcer said, ladies and gentlemen, um, please pay attention to the video boards for a special tribute to Edger and James. And and it was a highlight reel. I get a little choked up when I'm thinking about it now. And uh, and uh, so that, you know, it, it ended with with the words on the scoreboard, Edger, and thanks for the memories standing up. We went well past the allotted time, you know, for the two-minute warning and the commercials and all that. And and as I remember, when they came back, the, the ovation was still going on, and the announcer, whoever it was, said, you know, they're paying tribute here to Edger and James. So and and he, you know, turned to all four corners of the stadium and you know gave him the heart sign and all of that kind of stuff. It was really terrific. Couldn't have couldn't come couldn't have come off any better. Uh, than we had hoped. And, and so after the game, we're down in the locker room and, and uh, one of the PR guys came in and said to me, Edge is outside the Seattle locker room. He'd like to talk to you. So I said, okay, sure. So down I went. And he just said to me, BP, thanks. He just gave me a big hug. You know, really a, a, a moving moment and deserving, deserving for a guy who gave so much to the franchise. Yeah. Pretty sure. cool. Yeah. Well, th thank you very much for sharing that one. Well, one sort of fun thing I wanted to ask, you know, he had a college teammate who you would draft. How much did he petition for Reggie Wayne or did he? He didn't. Really? <laughs> we asked him at the end, <laughs> but, but he didn't, he, he, you know, he, he didn't beat on the table. He's got to take Reggie Wayne. He said, Oh yeah. He said, he's one of us. Yeah, said, okay. So. It's all we need to know. He's a cult. 
There's there's the legacy. Didn't hardcore petition for Reggie Wayne. Don't judge a book by its cover. And an unbelievable man. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting postscript to that, and 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 right to the point that Rick made about Jim Irsay. Early on, when we were building this thing, when it when it you know we had Peyton, but the other pieces weren't in place, he said to me, "Keep this in mind in everything we do. We want to be the Giants." And we want to be the Steelers. That's who we want to be. That's who we want America to think of us as. And so as this took place, you know, over the last couple of weeks and the run-up has been there and I've been texting back and forth with Jim, one of the texts that I sent him was, this is validation. This is proof that we are what you said you wanted it to be. Exactly. And, and he was the driving force behind it. Well, now what's cool is people want to be cults. Yes, they do. Yeah. So and a, a whole generation of kids grew up with number 32. Think about all the fans, the new fans that Peyton and Edger and, and Marvin and Reggie and Dallas and all those guys created an entire, an entire generation of fans. Well, and a legacy that the teams have to live up to now. Yes. And they're doing a good job. Yes, they are. Because, because one other giant, like, and particularly Steeler-like thing they did, you did, Bill, was the quality of the human beings who have been the head coaches. Uh, I mean, men who are who are leaders of men in the best way, who have integrity, who have character, you know, and and who care about and who are players, coaches, in that they truly care about their players. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's not, that does not always happen in the National Football League. No, it doesn't. No, no. And there's more than one way to skin a cat. But, but I think the, the thing that was so great about Jim is that he didn't hesitate to say, these are our role models. He didn't say, this team over here that we're competing with is our role model, or this team over there in the other conference who goes to the Super Bowl is our role model. He said unequivocally, we want to be the Steelers and want to be the Giants. Family-owned, family values, treat people the way you want to be treated, et cetera. Stability. Yep. 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 And Edron was a huge part of building that legacy. Uh, uh, and, you know, and you gotta, you gotta think with one last thought as great as you, you were building as an, as an assessor of talent, think about bringing together the human beings, the quality that they had on one team with Peyton Edron and Marvin. I mean, amazing. I don't know that, I don't know. Maybe there's another example in history, but Jeff uh, Saturday, Kato. Oh yeah. Tarek Glenn, Ryan Dean. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I it's don't like a who's who of the best guys in the league. The best guys there are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both, both as players and as, as leaders and as teammates. I mean, I, it, that it was, yeah. You want to pick the best people, have Bill pick the people. <laughs> right, right, right. Joe Gibbs in the book that I have coming out in the fall called Super Bowl Blueprints. Joe Gibbs points out absolutely correctly. He says it very succinctly. What it's all about is the quality of the people. Yeah, you know, anybody can pick talent. It, it, it takes it takes understanding of the nature of teamwork to realize that good guys are a false multi, uh, are a, a force multiplier. Yep, and and so they make they make the team infinitely better when you have good people and and 
because the hole, as Coach Levy used to say, is always greater than the sum of parts. So, right. So it's not just superstar talent. It's something much more ephemeral than that. It takes much more discernment to really put together because of all the sports, let's face it, football is the most interdependent where if one guy breaks down, everything breaks down. So, you know, having those kind of guys across the, the field uh, representing a team is, you know, well, the proof's in the pudding. Well, we're going to try to get you to write that book next, Bill. <laughs> it's uh, We'll do the people, product, profits, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> All right, gang. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. And then we are headed into the Audible. All right, gang. We have something super special for the Audible today. This is something that is a passion of mine. Might not be a passion of everybody else's, but uh, it brings together the two things that I probably love most in life, fantasy and the NFL salary cap. So we have the honor of having the CEO of Dynasty owner on the show today, Tim Peffer, and we are going to learn about a game that I think is something that you need to put into your fantasy football rotation for the season. Thanks for being on the pod, Tim. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Scott. Very cool. All right. So what is Dynasty owner? It's a great question. So Dynasty owner is fantasy football meets the business side of sports. We looked at fantasy sports. I've been playing fantasy sports for 20 years, and we looked at it and just said, it's just not realistic. How do you not consider contracts? How do you not consider a salary cap? People building super teams and, oh, by the way, redrafting every year. I've, I've been a lifelong Browns fans, and there's been many years I've wanted to wipe the slate clean. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> so we said, okay, we need to have a version of fantasy sports that is going to face similar decisions to what, what happens in real life that real NFL front offices face. So that's what, what Dynasty Owner is. So it is a version of fantasy sports where you keep your entire team forever. You have a startup draft, you keep your team forever. You can get out of contracts when the contracts expire, or if you want to get out of, you can um, be penalized if you want to get out of a really bad contract. But we use real life NFL contracts and salaries. And so you're going to keep those players for the length and duration of their contracts and hopefully build a really great team. Tim, this is Bill. If you're uh, if you want to release a player who's under contract, what's the penalty? Yeah. So penalty for us is 25% of the remaining contract. So how many ever years and their average annual salary, you know, if you have Pat Mahomes right now with 10 years at 450 million, wow, that's going to be a doozy. He's 45 million per year in our game. It'd be 25% of that 450 million to get rid of Pat Mahomes. And then, so like, this is probably a weedy question, but so let's say you do get rid of Pat. Does the cap hit hit you all at once in that year? Or does it sort of amortize across? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So we have, uh, we have three patents on our game and we do have, um, we're going to continue to make advanced versions of our game where we'll use the actual cap hit and it will carry over. For what we did now, um, the thing is, and we love everyone who plays our game and we love the fans, um, but there's always like the, the fans and the armchair quarterbacks that think they can do the job better than the, you know, than the NFL front office. And so the thing is, if we gave them the cap hit, people would just give up. So what we <laughs> do is... <laughs> they can. They have to pay to get out. They have to pay dollars is what they get out. And, and uh, we have a virtual currency in our game, Dynasty Dollars, 
that you get and you get so many of them um, per year and you can use those to get out of your contracts and not have it carry over to the next year. So that may not happen in real life, but we know at the same point, creating a game, it's got to be friendly for the user. Right. right. You know, you know, Tim, you know, in addition to just making it more realistic, so you can't just try and uh, go out and draft, uh, you know, the all pro roster all the time. Uh, what I like about this uh, and, and it actually, Scott, stick with me here. Okay. This, this this makes me think of something that Robert Frost, the, the the great poet laureate, said, which was, "Playing, writing poetry without rhyme, is like playing tennis without a net." <laughs> and you know what he was getting at is, when there are imposed parameters on things, you have to be more creative. That's where the talent comes out. So if you're going to put the cap on people, that really makes them not just imitate the NFL, but be creative in the way they go about and do things and just can't go out. And if the other guys are dumb in their league and don't get good guys, they can't just go out and get them. Right. So, okay. So, so anyway, thank, I think it's, a, it's great. Yeah. The answer just got just the interesting thing about the idea that they can buy their way out of bad contracts is um, the antithesis of what the original salary cap was designed to do <laughs> it was designed to penalize people who did bad contracts with right. no escape route. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we trust me, we thought of that. We'll, we will have some higher stakes version of our game in the future where it will be even harder to get out of the cap. But at the same point, I think some people just don't understand. And um, I think Dynasty Owner is helping educate um, the normal fan and normal fantasy fan to um, you know, con uh, what, how contracts and salaries actually work. And there are some guys that are really expensive and you can't build a super team with, you can't have DeAndre Hopkins, right. Julio Jones, um, you know, Travis Kelsey and Pat Mahomes. Could you in traditional yeah. fantasy sports? You could, you can't nerd him. Right. Competitive balance. Yeah. 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 The central core of the salary cap system is competitive balance. So you've designed it. Yes, exactly. So, so Tim, how has that affected like drafting? So I mean, are, are the players that get drafted in your league different than wh where and what kinds of players are drafted in more traditional fantasy? Yes, absolutely. And so when you look at our average draft position or ADP compared to traditional fantasy sports, it's different. So players that are under their rookie contracts matter most. Now, Scott, you've played a lot of fantasy sports. Yes. Who do you think is the guy to take it number one this year if you have the number one pick? Uh, well, so I'm I'm a totally biased guy because I think it's, he's going to have an amazing year. But I would go with uh, Antonio Gibson first because you know it's I think he's going to have two thousand yards and about. Are you a Redskins fan? I, well, Washington football team also, fan. Uh, the answer to that would yeah that would be yes. Yeah. Typically, my fantasy teams consist of I would take Gibby at one, I take McLaurin at two, uh, you know, Deami Brown later. But no, so I mean, putting your Washington football team bias aside, who would you take at one? I would probably take Mahomes, I think. Okay. Mahomes is very expensive, and a lot of people would say CMC, Christian McCaffrey, but he is $16 million per year in right. our game. Dalvin Cook, he's very, very consistent. Um, you try not to count on touchdowns, but he's been very consistent with double-digit touchdowns over the past several seasons. He's 12.6. 
In our game, Jonathan Taylor is going number one overall. His ADP is 1.6, and that's because he's 1.9 million per year. You're looking at production, and you're looking at cost, and you're trying to fit together value. And so those are some of the things that we're seeing. Right now, we're seeing Najee Harris go third. He's, his ADP is 4.8. So you have two rookie running backs going ahead of Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin Cook is probably the best talent, in my opinion. Maybe Bill can weigh in on this. He's seen film. You've drafted Hall of Famers, Bill. But maybe because of injuries and things like that, that you're seeing these guys even go ahead of CMC in our game. I, well, I got my I got my general manager's hat on, and just with the just with the the description you've given, automatically, if I had scouts scouting people to uh, to try and, uh, and 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 sign in in your league, uh, I'd be looking at at guys on rookie contracts. I'd, I'd be very wary of veterans. Yep, and it, it it's even more so for quarterback. So when it comes to the quarterback ADPs, you're seeing Justin Herbert still under that rookie deal, 6.6 million. He's the first quarterback coming off the board. Then Kyler Murray, 8.9 million. And then Josh Allen at 5.2. But in our game, so Josh Allen has his fifth year option next year. If he did not have a contract extension come into play, it would have been his fifth year option that came in to replace that 5.2 annual salary. Josh Allen, though, will have his new contract kick in for our game next year. We, we end up delaying it a year. He'll be $43 million next year. So people are still taking him. And then Trevor Lawrence at 9.1. So all these guys going ahead of Pat Mahomes and then Pat Mahomes going at 45 mil. Because eventually I think Pat Mahomes be, does become a value as the salary cap increases and some of these other contracts go up. But then right after that, it goes back to Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, guys that are still in the rookie deal, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, all these guys going ahead of Dak Prescott, who's $40 million in our game. So, so let me ask you this. Uh, since the salary cap, the real salary cap, is set up to take into account an entire roster, and you're obviously you're right. There's no there's no uh, cost attribution to offense or defensive linemen or special teams, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you handle that? Yeah. So we use 70 percent of the NFL's cap. Um, we had consulted with uh, Mike from Spot Track, um, who's who's really an amazing guy. Uh, we also consulted with some agents. I wish, Bill, we could have consulted with you. We kind of had settled on how do we give some grace to the fan that's playing and we were going to be around 66% of the NFL salary cap and decided on 70. We decided on 70. It gives the, the fan a little bit of grace. And so because at the end of the day, we want them to have fun. If we have it so um, so hardcore, so rigid, there might be some people that uh, that it's just too tough of a game for them to play. It's not actually that much fun being a general manager in the NFL. Yeah, that's the that's, that's, that's Answer this question for me, Mr. Commissioner. This strikes me as a situation where if Lamar Jackson is given credit for his running yardage, full credit for that, one yard rushing equals one yard passing. Uh, Is that true? So how it works for us is it is every 10 yards rushing is a point and then every 25 yards passing is a point. And so... Okay, you just 
you just killed me. I was ready to go for, I was ready to put all my money on Lamar Jackson, but that changes things. <laughs> so good for you in design. He still had a great season. Like 2019, he was the number one player in our game in 2019. He had, because he had 1200 yards rushing, which is absolutely amazing. And, you know, so you're getting, you're getting 120 points for that. And, um, you know, he had seven, seven rushing touchdowns, which, which really helps. He was our number one player in 2019. Yeah, that, it, it, just off the top of my head, it struck me that that was clearly the case because you're looking for high production uh, regardless of, of how it's done and with, with an emphasis on touchdowns and, and, and low salaries. So he's nowhere near Patrick Mahomes in the real world, but in, in this world, he's a, a much better value. Yeah. And last year on our platform, Aaron Rodgers ended up being the number one player on our platform. And he had, you know, because he had a heck of a season. So, Tim, how many players? So, when, when we'll get into the mechanics of when you can draft and how you can play in a minute, but so how many players are on a roster? Yeah. So, um, you're going to do a startup draft of 25. And then from there, um, you'll be able to hit the free agent auction and be able to sign five more players under the real life contract. So you max out at 30. We also do have three IR spots. So, you know, if players are injured throughout the year, you can move them to the injured reserve. We, in our game, still count them against the cap though. So at that point, you can have a max of 33 if you have three players that are on injured reserve. And of course, they have to actually be out for the year in order for you to put them on injured reserve. So yeah, that's how, that's how our rosters work. That's good. So you got no stashing that way. <laughs> yeah, you can't stash. Yeah, you can't put healthy players on the IR. You <laughs> well, you could take a very long view of this, though. We're like, yeah, you can. <laughs> this year, green and growing. You're talking to an old stasher here. Yes, you can. Yeah. It, it, I, I think I'm anticipating what Scott was going to say. If you're taking a long view and a guy's having a bad year and you can stash him on injured reserve and live to fight another day, stash, stash away. If I've learned anything from Bill, it's stash and green and growing. Those are the yes. two things I want. I want to be young and I want to stash players. So I'd be really curious about this. So what position group do most people allocate the most resource against? Is it running back? Is it receiver? Well, so obviously quarterbacks have the most expensive contracts. So I would say it's usually quarterbacks. And then I would say after that, it's wide receiver. You know, the wide receiver costs can be very expensive and sometimes there's some value that you find late in our draft with the wide receiver position. So a guy like even Julio Jones, who's absolutely amazing, he's, he's definitely one of the best wide receiver talents out there, is going later. He, he doesn't get drafted right away because of his $22 million annual salary. So he is... And he doesn't have a lot of touchdowns. No, but he, I mean... Like I said, he, he catches a lot of balls and to get point per reception, right. you know, really makes a difference. So, so Julio's a guy that you end up taking later, even a guy like Keenan Allen, who's, who's really, really talented, you know, produces a lot. His ADP is like 82. So you're end up getting him, you know, in the, in the late seventh round or early eighth round, you know, at that point. Right. All right, so how do our our listeners, how do people sign up? How do they play? When do they need to sign up? How do they get this going? Great. So they can sign up now. We have startup drafts that are happening throughout uh, the month of August all the way through September. Let's see. The very first game is going to be 
uh, September 9th, right? That Thursday. So we'll draft all the way up to September 8th. Um, they can go to dynastyowner.com. Go ahead and click play now. Go ahead and make your account. You'll go into the, the store. And the fun thing is, is that you can take over an existing franchise if you want. We have those for sale because, you know, if Jerry Jones decides to not be the the majority owner of the Dallas Cowboys, he just doesn't leave. He doesn't flake out. That happens in some fantasy leagues where people are just like, ah, this is too hard. I leave. We actually give you a platform to be able to sell your franchise. And there's been people that have been selling their franchises for like $400, which is an absolute changer. So yeah, you can go in, you can buy your team and pick the day and time that you want to start up draft. You can invite friends. We give you 10 bucks for every friend that you bring along and uh, and that is cash money that you can get. And so, yeah, you can go and sign up, dynastyowner.com and play. We have the app for iOS and Android as well that you can just download, go in and buy your team and uh, bring some friends along, get paid along the way. And uh, if you decide that Dynasty Owner is not for you down the road, you can actually profit from it. And actually, we've even seen some people draft some teams, right? make some really good trades, make a good team and sell it. So then if if you buy a team, or can you put that team into any of the leagues or are you locked into the league? No, you're locked into the- that league. You're locked into that specific league. Yep. Okay. So, but do you get to see who the other teams in that league are when you buy the team? You don't, but you okay. get to see your full roster. It's kind of like shopping on Amazon. You yeah. get to see the you get to see the full roster. You get to see what their uh, salary cap is at right now, how much against the cap, and not just for one year. We don't do it for one year. When you go and look in your front office, you get to see what your cap looks like over the next six seasons. So that way you can kind of plan like when my contracts are expiring and things of that nature, because you do need to have some expiring contracts along the way. So you have room to bring on new rookies. Sure. sure. Yeah, sure. See, the, the list I sent yesterday, the guys that I thought were decent picks, starting to make more sense. A lot of rookie contracts in that but you, had said, but you had mentioned Jameis Winston, right? Well, I no. Think you're so, to go into sleepers. Yeah. yeah. That we're not doing him. That was a hard veto. That, yeah, that was no, no. That was a hard veto. Hard, hard veto. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, you have come up with one of the few areas, Tim, in, in versus real life where – and if you know NFL owners make money just about every way you can, but by bringing in another NFL owner, you get paid for that bill. That, that they'd love to hear that when a team's up for sale. Hey, we're going to give you the, the equivalent of what ten dollars is in this league for bringing in the guy who's buying the other team. So, Al has got a few finders fee in his uh, in his very lucrative life. That's that's true, but but only Al Davis could you know the, the genius could figure out how to do that. Yeah. Well, hey, and if you guys listening want to play with us, we actually have a team in the league. So our league is 76065. We draft August 29th at 440 Eastern time. So that's 76065. We got a team in the game. I feel like now I can't reveal my thought process. No. The the Lions have to have a really good receiver at some point. So maybe, maybe, maybe look at some of the Lions receivers. Let's get nuts. (laughs) <laughs> somebody's got it jared goff's gonna throw the ball eventually and somebody's got to get some gadget you and i have been around and around with that quarterback for a long time so we have indeed well we cannot recommend this enough it is truly awesome it is the culmination of a lot of things we love and again uh head over to dynastyowner.com uh, today to sign up we'll be in this year so if you want to you want to compete against uh, us feel free and it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun 
Let me mention one other thing, because we can actually see Tim, and, and obviously when you're listening, you can't. He is wearing some excellent swag. Dynasty owner has really good looking stuff. I'm sure there must be some place to shop for that, Tim. And I am recommending that along with playing in the league. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, the one thing we always get complimented on is our logo, you know. Good logo. And, uh, it, it really stands out. And uh, so thank you for that. Yeah, dynastyowner.com. We like it because it's eerily similar to our logo. <laughs> Two things coming together. Very good color choice. All right, gang. We'll head over to Dynasty Owner again. Uh, our draft is August 29th. So roll the dice. Sign up today. Let's see what we can do. Could you imagine? Oh, my goodness. The fans that get to go up against you guys. Like, Bill, are you going to have a say in on this roster at all? Uh, I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so. I think uh, Scott and Rick are on their own on this one. <laughs> you you got to stop them from, you know, from drafting Jared Goff or drafting uh, Jameis Winston here. Yeah. Well, that's pretty clear. That's that's very obvious. That, yeah, that's that, that's become more and more apparent as this conversation has progressed. That's a good role for me, Tim. I, I can I can play the role of uh, of a senior advisor and, and just say, no, 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 you don't want to go near this guy. We give Bill the presidential veto. Which we do that anyways, where Bill goes, Scott, that's the dumbest idea in the history of Earth. We're not doing that. What you should probably do, Scott and Rick, is go do a mock draft. And for any of the listeners that want to go do a mock draft for free, you come try out, you can do rookie-only mock drafts. So if you play in another type of dynasty league that doesn't use contracts, it's hard to do a rookie-only mock draft on on um, on other platforms. We have it for you for free on our platform, as well as a startup mock draft. Um, and just go on and uh, and get to run through and see uh, you know what kind of team you can put together. I always suggest that with any platform – uh, but especially ours, when you're using the cap and when you're doing the draft and you're under the constraints of the cap while drafting, um, it is very, very different. So I do suggest that uh, folks come out and do that for free. As somebody who's made a movie with him, I will be drafting in the mock draft Rod Tidwell room. There you go. Yeah. So very nice. Love it. All right, Tim. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Rick. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Tim. Good luck. Good job. Take care. Thank you. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube